Today, we embrace the numbers as we study the enormous challenge that Marvel Comics had in overcoming an overwhelming dominance from DC Comics. Marvel's Mission Impossible wasn't achieved overnight, but it was achieved, and the turnaround is remarkable. We crunch all the data and all the opportunities. Did a last-minute price change aid in the cause? Did, did a last-minute price change tilt things in Marvel's favor? We cover all the angles on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. I have been writing and drawing and creating and producing comic books for 38 years. I, I, I graduated from high school. I, I knew that comic books were my destiny and, and I grabbed it. I, I was hired uh, one year out of high school, drawing independent comics. Shortly after there, uh, hired by Marvel in DC, was employed at 18 years old, graduated from high school at 17 years old. Comic books have been my passion since I was seven. And I absolutely love talking about comics with you each and every episode of Rob Observations. Rob Observations takes the world of comic books, the journey of comics, the expansion of comic books from my youth of 1974 and first pulling these comic books off the spinner racks, uh, trading comic books at the barbershop, expanding from Casper the Friendly Ghost and Richie Rich into Marvel's Fantastic Four and the Silver Surfer and eventually the Avengers and the X-Men. And and over this time, I have watched in awe as comic books went through their first big transition media phase with Lou Ferrigno as the Incredible Hulk and and, uh, Linda Carter as Wonder Woman and those breaking out, giving CBS, ABC, two big superhero hits, followed shortly by other... uh, CBS, Doctor Strange, and Spider-Man at adaptations, the cartoons, and and into the place of, of these these giant blockbuster movies that have taken you and if you're anything like me, my family, my kids on this incredible journey where everybody loves superheroes now, which is still weird getting used to, but Rob Observations walks you through comic books from my perspective as a fan as well as a professional. And given my 38 years in this business, and it all started really just so you completely understand this podcast started as therapy. It was therapy. I, it, I don't have to go back very far to access the fear and the uncertainty. And really, the, the word that I would most assign to the pandemic was the sadness. It was sad. My, my kids couldn't hang out with their friends as much. Uh, every, you know, after that first three, four, five months, things, you know, especially here in Southern California where I live, things started to uh, lighten up and, and kids were quietly socializing. But, but in, our, in our state, we, you know, the, 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 the beaches were closed, whether you agree with him or not, by the governor. We, we our family did not. Uh, we thought the beaches should stay open. But for Memorial Day, uh, th- th- there was definitely a stay in your homes, shelter. In your homes, do not get out to the parks and the beaches. And when you have kids at the time who were 20 and, uh, I'm sorry, 19, 17, and 15, it was sad. It was a really sad time. And I remember being sad. And, and, and there wasn't a whole lot to talk about other than that stupid freaking 
pandemic. Yes, it was real. Uh, my entire family had COVID and we were early to get those uh, shots, whether they worked or not. Just wanted to get off that crazy pandemic roller coaster ride. And I turned to this podcast. I didn't know how to do it, but I finally thought I'd start, I'd start talking about comic books. And my son, Chase, said, Dad, I can hook you up. He's the technically proficient, also probably the coolest member of our family. I think the entire family, if taken a vote, uh, would say that just Chase is, is a cool kid. And he said, Dad, I will go to Best Buy. I know exactly what to get, get you. That's when they would walk it out to the curb again, pandemic uh, times. Uh, again, I think we all just have, have a, just a sad, slightly resentful view of that time because it was so strange and so weird. And as I told my kids, uh, at the time, my, 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 my mom was, was still alive. And I said, look, uh, m- m- your grandmother at 86 has never gone through a pandemic either. Okay. So no one knows who to turn to in this, right? Well, I turned to this, my, my, this, this, this microphone, this Blue Yeti, and I started the therapy of talking comics, my love for comics, my journey with comics since I was a kid. And I cannot thank you enough for taking this ride for me, uh, ride with me, ride for me. That sounds goofy. Taking this ride along with me. I, I am always nervous each and every time I, you know, approach this microphone and start talking and, and start sharing. But over uh, just, just, you know, it's, it's only a few weeks out from the New York Comic Con. And I would tell my wife when I would see her back at the hotel room, She's like, how's it going? And I'm like, everybody wanted to talk about the podcast. Some of your reviews that you're now sharing with me talk about you hearing about the podcast at the show. And I just love it. I love that we're having these conversations. And so often, so many of you, pardon me also, excuse me when I say to you, you, you give me this great compliment. And then I say, can you tell me what you like about it? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my research group uh, with you right there on, on the spot. And, and, uh, and, and I ask you, and, and so many of you have shared that the information and the history that is shared on the show is probably the stuff that you value the most, which you're going to really like given today's show because we're going to get more into history and information and data. But I am just so thankful that I have my old magazines from the 70s, from the 80s with these rich interviews. And, and, and in the case of maybe something like A Heroes Reborn or A Fighting American or the Birth of Image Comics or me leaving Image Comics, uh, I have the memos, the faxes, the, the letters that were sent back and forth, the, the stuff that can bring you the dates and the receipts. Because, you know, as, as, as we've all gotten older, we, we notice that different media outlets, uh, magazines, websites, uh, networks give you their spin. They want to give you their take on something and they want to influence how you view uh, a piece of news and i'm telling you i just want you to understand the facts at all times and today we're going to share a lot of great facts because that's the most fun of this show now i'm going to be honest <laughs> when i when i uh share the dish with you guys uh it it, it th- those numbers go off the, uh, go off the charts it's it's hilarious to me like uh re- recent what i would call more dishy episodes you guys are are man th- those those gets consumed the most and i try and be really responsible with those as well and the most recent dishy episodes i'm just reading other people's accounts so you know i'm trying to even not inject opinion if i can uh expand something by by telling you 
what, what I was experiencing while I was there. And that's the thing. Beware some of these comic historians. I look at them. They're younger than me. They certainly weren't there when certain news was happening, but they are giving you a perspective on the news that isn't reflective of how it was going down. And right now, a lot of the news that is being talked about is the time period that me and my peers grew up in. And on those, I certainly do absolutely have the receipts. I have the the data and I'm always happy to share it with you guys and give you a broader perspective. But I love comics. I love comics more than I love any other medium. Uh, as much as I love film, I, I it just does not even scratch the surface of how much that I love comic books and the people who make comic books, the creators. And we try and celebrate all of that. We try and celebrate and elevate all of that on each and every episode of Raw Observations. So given that uh, you, you guys like the history and the data, today we are going the furthest back that we've ever gone in this show, but it is a really significant period of time. And the, the title of today's show, which is, uh, again, we, we, we put the numbers, the, the, the moniker, the numbers is on several of the different episodes that you will find in the Rob Liefeld Raw Observations catalog or library of shows and those uh generally are meant to inform you that we are going to discuss uh actual data from a period of time that goes to inform again a snapshot of that period in time of comic books because look comic books are beyond now fighting for dominance on the bookshelves or the spinner racks the bookshelves at your barnes and noble which still have a few comic books maybe a shelf at, at, at the big box stores like a Walmart, uh, obviously your your dedicated comic book stores have, have these those beautiful shelves. Uh, there, there's still a couple places that I've seen that do utilize spinner racks. They made kind of a little little comeback, uh, but we are so beyond that. We we the, the, these are now laboratories, and 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 all of this history is laboratories for so much of what you are going to continue to see on the, you know. Stage and screen, as they say, because they have discovered that superheroes, when handled correctly, and I want to really emphasize that, when handled correctly, are big, gigantic business, and they being corporations, entities, and uh, and so 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 to examine all of this and 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 tell you maybe how in crucial times when it was just a publishing model, how the, these publishers survived and thrived, given that they were just publishing models. Uh, it is, I think, a really great foundation. You can really lay a great foundation of understanding of the comic books and the creators. And you're going to see today how 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 Marvel, the title of this episode, the numbers, Marvel's Mission Impossible, okay? And we're going to, we're going to tell you how they did it. And we're going to go all the way back to 1967. And we're going to examine the the earliest days that we have ever t- talked about. It's not that that's not certainly the dawn of Marvel, certainly not the dawn of, of DC comics, but it's going to give you a snapshot in the early days, a few years into Marvel, just how big the challenge they had ahead of them. And we're going to, we're, we're, we're going to really uh, study and, and look at those numbers. And then I've got some great history from books that I just absolutely love and adore and have had in my possession since 2000 that, that, that expand this. So uh, hang on as we get into the numbers, Marvel's Mission Impossible, and, and how they and how they pulled it off. I have been super fortunate over the course of my career in comics to have met some of the real movers and shakers in the real t- in the retail world, and so many of these different retailers uh, who were around, you know, w- way 
before I was even reading comics. They were selling comics. They were they were young 20-somethings starting their own comic book newsstand, starting their own little comic book uh, mail order operation. They've got all these uh, sales figures that they routinely share. And I am really fortunate to to share with you from Mr. Bob Beerbaum of Comics and Comics uh, a, a list that 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 he shared, which is great. And he has he's uh, he's such he's such a uh, wealth of of knowledge over these many years. And in 1967, we are going to 1967. That is the date of my birth. So uh, I, I, I'm just popping out and seeing the sunshine. For the first time here, I am a, a a very you know I'm a little amoeba of of flesh and crying for my mama in 1967. Okay, and these are the sales figures that we're going to show with you today. Now, Marvel Comics, you know, is is well into they're they're three or four years into their publishing operation at this point. But I'm going to tell you right now, you are up against one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine of the top ten comics that I'm going to share with you. In 1967, the paid circulation, the average total paid circulation, as reported in each publisher's statement of ownership. Did you know that once a year, and if you go back through your 80s comics, so so this is fun. Once a year, uh, even through the 90s, I mean, uh, through the early 90s, but definitely in the 80s, like in the Mark Silvestri uh, issues of, of X-Men, in the Spider-Man issues at that time, once, they had to do it once a year, they had to do a statement of ownership and they would give you the average sales of that comic. So maybe if you've got like all of 1988's X-Men, Uncanny X-Men, one of those has a statement, a, a, a bright blue, it's, a, it's generally in the letters column, a bright blue or a yellow box and it gives you all the statement of ownership and it will tell you the average circulation and average sales of that comic over the last 12 months. And so this has been compiled from all of these statements that were printed in these comics at the time. So this is what the publisher is is actually uh, legally required at the time to share with you what they were selling. The top 10 books of 1967. 1967, okay? Batman. Batman is the number one top-selling book, and I have covered with you many times how by the time the 80s came around, Batman started losing titles, but this is the apex of Batman, and and there's really obvious reasons that we're going to get to. 1967, Batman is the number one published comic book, period, not just for DC, because you got comic books from publishers like Archie in here, from Gold Key, uh, from a, a publisher called Dell. And 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 trust me, Marvel is is struggling at this time. DC is dominating. Batman has sales, an average paid circulation of eight hundred and five thousand copies. Eight hundred and five thousand copies. Are, like like pick your pick your jaw up off the floor, right? Eight hundred and five thousand copies. It's crazy. The, 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 these are insane numbers. These are these are absolutely incredible numbers. Uh, Superman is number two. Superman is number two, but there is a huge disparity. The number two selling comic is 650,000. So Batman is outpacing Superman by 150,000 copies at this time. Now that will certainly change again when the Christopher Reeve 
1978 Superman movie comes out at the end of 1978, coasting through 1979, and Superman really becomes uh, the flagship for for many of the same reasons that we're going to get into uh, in regards to to Batman. 650,000 sales of of, of Superman behind the 805,000 on Batman. Superboy is the number three comic book in the comic book industry. Superboy. Superboy was incredibly popular. Superboy was everywhere. A lot of merchandising back in the day for Superboy. I will call them dolls from Mego. There were action uh, model kits that I bought of Superboy. Superboy comic books were really prevalent. Uh, little collections, digests. Superboy was selling 547,000. So, so your two big dogs uh, are Batman and Superman. And so from the 150,000, really it's 155 disparity between Batman and Superman, then you drop down and you get another, you, you, you get a, you get a 103,000 gap. Between Superman at 650 and Superboy at 547, 547,000. World's Finest, which puts Superman and Batman together each and every month, World's Finest is your number four comic and it sells 537. So it's, it's 10,000 behind, behind, uh, behind Superman. But here's the deal. If you look at Superman, Superboy, and World's Finest and, and what's, what's going to come and, and round out, while Batman does dominate the chart, you're going to see that Superman dominated the industry. He just isn't number one yet, but he will be shortly. Superman at 650, Superboy at 547,000 paid circulation. World's Finest, which is 50%, of course, Superman and 50% Batman, is at 537. And then the first non-DC Comics entry is at number five with Archie Comics. Archie Comics with Archie and Jughead and, 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 and uh, Betty and Veronica is, is selling 485,000 copies, 485,000 copies. Incredible. These numbers are, are incredible. But again, and I, and, and I, I talked to uh, my, my, my friend Eric Stevenson who, who runs Image Comics. I, I've been asking him a lot of questions. I've actually uh, got a list of questions that I submitted to him that he was kind enough to answer that I'll be sharing with you on an upcoming episode because as publisher of the third largest and maybe honestly right now the second largest because the numbers are a little uh, vague, Image Comics could actually be knocking on the number two door. Uh, and and I, I, I'm going to be honest, I, I believe they will be the number two publisher at some point in 2024 uh, overcoming DC Comics. Uh, but talking to Eric, and, and again, we just, we reminisce about in the 90s, like just think of 1991, 1992, and the sales numbers that we were being that were being achieved. Look, X Force number two. I like to go to the number twos, not the number one. X Force number two sold 1.4 million copies. There, there was no polybag, no trading card. It was just the heat and the momentum. New Mutants 100 sold a million copies. Again, not the specially packaged, exploitive, uh, you know, issue number ones that were being launched those times, which were impressive and they're awesome, and I'm happy to be a part of that. But I can just look at the stuff that I was involved with young blood number one a million copies okay brigade blood strike a million copies our second issues would go to eight to 750 this is paid circulation like these numbers are incredible but what we had going on in the 90s we didn't have a playstation the reason i'm bringing this up there was no playstation there was no xbox we didn't have these platforms these giant uh platforms that are now especially the online gaming component I was just on on a vacation for my father-in-law's 80th birthday 
and my nephew was talking to me about all of the uh, games that he plays on his iPhone. And again, so many of you do play so many of these games, but so many superhero games that he's playing on his iPhone or on his iPad. And again, where, where I escaped into comics, I know that many of you and maybe your kids, your sons, your daughters, they escape into video games. That platform did not exist in the 90s, not anywhere near the way it would come at the end of the decade with the, with the, with the launch of the uh, PS2 and then, and then the upgrades on the Xbox. Uh, they certainly were not you know, existing back in this day in 1967. Like it was just that, that that's why you have so many of these books doing so many incredible numbers. Archie, Archie comics, 485,000 copies. Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. We're back in Superman. Superman has been basically in the number two, three, four, and now five categories. Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen was selling 450,000 copies, 450,000 copies. Superman's girlfriend, yes, Lois Lane had a comic. Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, was selling 448,000 copies. Action Comics was selling 420,000 copies. But but I skipped. Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane were basically between them doing a million copies. 450 and 450, okay? I mean that 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 is that is they, they are and, and they're they're like 450 700 and 450 500 so so I'm just I'm just I'm just leaving on the off the change I'm going with the big numbers but again you look at that and you go between them they're doing a million a month but the reason I'm telling you that is that number eight is Detective Comics Detective Comics and again we're going to get into again why uh, this disparity Detective Comics huge number 425 thousand but like 400 thousand less than Batman. Uh, that's that's your number eight book. Your number nine book is Action Comics, which I jumped ahead. Action Comics was doing four hundred twenty thousand, and then Adventure Comics, which would heavily feature Aquaman, uh, is your number ten best selling comic book at four hundred twelve thousand copies. You guys, that's a top ten that is dominated by DC Comics. There's only one non DC comic in that top ten, and that is Archie. Okay. Otherwise, you've got Batman, Superman, Superboy, World's Finest, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane, Detective Comics coming in at number eight, Action Comics at number nine, and Adventure Comics at number 10. That is some incredible achievement right there. And when you look at it again, you, you, you look and you see that Superman alone, Superman alone is, is doing about two, two and a half million units. The Superman family, Superman, Superboy, Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane, Action Comics. And then he's part of the world's finest. And if, and if I do that, it, it goes way above. Because uh, you, you, you get to, oh, to 1.2 million units featuring Superman just between Superman and Superboy. Then you, then you get another million with Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane. So, so now you're at, you, now you're at 2.1 million. You throw in Action Comics, you're at 2.5. And then if you, if you even give a sliver of world's finest you know so so he he's almost a three million another another five hundred thousand if you throw in world's finest superman was uh a megastar batman was number one with a bullet some of you already have figured out you're screaming say it say it come on rob why are you sitting on it we're gonna get to it (laughs) we're gonna get to it i have i have i have data to share but look I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you what was the, uh, we're going to get to number 11. Are you like, when's Marvel going to weigh in? It's 1967. Where is Marvel? Okay, Marvel's coming. 
The Man from Uncle was published by Dell. The Man from Uncle was a huge spy show. It was ridiculously popular. Saw it in reruns as a kid. Uh, Man from Uncle, the comic book was number 11 with circulation of 411,000. Now here's the weirdo, like get out of here with this. Justice League of America is selling 385,000 copies. Justice League of America is selling 385,000 copies. Can you believe that? Is that crazy? Like all of them together, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and, 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 and they can't get into the top 10. But here's another one. It's number 13 best-selling comic of 1967. This is the entire year. This is paid circulation for the year. Is Tarzan, okay? You can hear him standing on his tree, uh, bellowing into the wild and summoning the apes, elephants, and, and lions. He is the lord of the jungle. Tarzan is your number 13 comic, published by Gold Key, and it was selling 384 almost in a direct tie, really separated by, from Justice League by a few thousand. Then Marvel comes in. They're the number 14 comic, Amazing Spider-Man is selling 361 or almost 500,000 less than Batman. Amazing Spider-Man, 361,000 units. Betty and Veronica are your number 15 uh, for the year at 349. And then I'm just going to jump and tell you that number 17 is the only other time Marvel places a book. Marvel has the number 14 and the number 17 comic books in 1967. Fantastic Four is at 329,000. Uh, about 30,000 behind Spider-Man, which is at 361,000. Marvel has two books in the top 20 of 1967. DC is literally throttling them in the world of publishing, in the world of, of, of comic books, the, the books on the spinner rack. But it's about to change. We are really, this is the beginning of the end for DC. This is the beginning of the end, and it, and it is, it is the beginning of the road that's going to find Marvel eventually overtaking them. But let's get to that Batman. Let, let, let me read to you right now, because uh, let me read to you what happened in regards to Batman during, during this period in the 60s. In, in my hands, I hold a giant coffee table book that I bought in 2000. And what caught me was that uh, it had more modern comics on the cover. It's called The Great American Comic Books. It's written by Ron Goulart. Maybe it's Goulet, but it's G-O-U-L-A-R-T. The comic books that stuck out for me on the cover were Youngblood number one, uh, Wolverine number two by Frank Miller. You had a Walt Simonson Thor on here. You had Punisher versus, versus, versus Archie from the 90s. So, so it really takes a great representation of um, all of the comic books that were coming out in the 80s and 90s. So it wasn't, it, it really signaled that this is a fresh take. I got this in the, in the uh, year 2000. And it is a great coffee table book. If you, if you want to go on Amazon and grab it, you will love it. it um, I like it because it's very positive and all, also very factual about so much of what was going down through every age of comic books. Uh, I am going to read to you from page 261 of Ron Goulart's Great American Comic Book. It says, Wednesday, January 12th, 1966. The American Broadcast Company, that's the ABC network, aired the very first episode of Batman. 
of Batman on Wednesday, January 12th, 1966. It says the show was slow to catch on, but once it did, it was a sensation. It's enormous, if relatively short-lived popularity led to a new phase of comic book publishing, a phase that, depending on how one looks at it, either enhanced or destroyed the euphoric era that fans like to call the Silver Age. Essentially, the television show treated the comic book notion of crime fighting in a less than serious manner. Batman was the ultimate camp show of the 60s and was definitely not to be taken seriously even by those who acted in it. The fight scenes were punctuated by animated pows, bops, and thuds that flashed on the screen when a blow was struck, obliterating the actors. The situations were intentionally contrived and the acting was intentionally overdone by everyone except star Adam West, who was so wooden that he was hilarious okay it says it goes on to say campy or not the batman tv series inspired merchandising spinoffs toys games peanut butter clothes costumes and more that brought in 150 million dollars 150 million dollars in 1966 the financial success of the show was enormous its impact on the great masses of people so Obvious that a host of small or unlikely publishers hasten to grab for a share of the riches. And then it pivots to talk about all the new publishers that came of age. But Batman in 1967 is riding the jock. It is jock riding the show. It is a giant boon. That is where you get the huge disparity in numbers. Why it is 150,000 above Superman, which, which the Superman family, as we said, is almost 3 million units in the top 10. But Batman, that show, I obviously did not see it in real time. I was a little blob of flesh. Uh, but certainly by the time I was six, seven, eight, nine, the, the, the memories, the memories of Batman, which was, again, as we've talked, was, which was stripped Monday through Friday out here in Southern California, back-to-back episodes. So you get two at a time. I was hooked. I always understood that it was campy and it was goofy, but it was fun, again, mainly seeing the villains. I love to see all the different villains that they brought to life, whether it was the Riddler, the Penguin, Dr. Freeze, uh, you know, uh, Joker, of course, loved all of the different iterations of Catwoman. Batgirl may, may have had a little crush like the rest of you on Batgirl, but it was just, just an absolute phenomenon that continued in my youth. That's how strong it was, was that it was a top, you know, in the same way, because I, I came to understand when, like in the 90s, after Friends or Seinfeld got so popular in their first run uh, episodes, then they would get stripped syndicated and you saw the bidding wars and how people needed to have those. They wanted to show you Friends and Seinfeld, you know, five days a week, just like prior to that, they wanted to show you Family Ties or Growing Pains, uh, big comedies of the 80s. For me, that recognition started with Batman. Well, I, I recognize it's a show. That was not new on primetime because I understood primetime. I understood that primetime in, in, you know, whether you're in the Midwest or, or, or out here in Southern California started either 7 to 10 or 8 to 11. And I understood that Batman was an old show, an older show. And it was stripped though every afternoon, 5 to 6, 5 to 5.30, 5.30 to 6. You got two episodes of Batman every day and they plundered all of those uh, seasons again, short-lived. Uh, didn't didn't go for a really long time, but enough to get those rich syndication deals. So Batman literally never went off the air after it, you know, got canceled because it lived such a rich life in syndication and kept selling all of that Adam West stuff. 
uh, Adam West would then continue as the voice of Batman in the cartoons heading into and all the way through the 70s. And, and, and that's, how, that's how much that stuff resonated. So when you read that it did $150 million in its first year in licensing and merchandise, you can bet that uh, the guys at Marvel were like, what? Wait, huh? And you knew that Stan Lee was on a mission. And the Spider-Man cartoon and Spider-Man licensing and further licensing was going to you know, continue to pour out that they had had some cartoons at this time. Marvel did, but it was nowhere near the, the live action sensation of the Batman show. And what happens is over time, after the Batman show goes off the air, Batman sales, and we've shared this on other number, uh, other episodes of the numbers when I talked to you about how suddenly Batman just started dropping and dropping and dropping because it really was propelled so much higher than the other comic books because of the incredible success of the show. And so that's why Detective Comics wasn't doing so hot. Even though they put Batman on it, people just wanted the name brand, Batman. When Todd McFarlane was doing Spider-Man, uh, and, and and when he would talk about X-Men and give me some of his advice early on a, 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 as I was at Marvel, he's like, you want to do the flagship. You know, Amazing Spider-Man is the oldest, you know, Spider-Man title. He's like, that's the one they identify. That's the flagship, the flagship. You always want to be on the flagship. And he, what he was hoping and slightly nervous when he launched his own Spider-Man was taking the Amazing off of it and making just Spider-Man the new book he was like you know i'm gonna have to buck the flagship because the flagship still has so much loyalty you have hundreds and hundreds of copies of the flagship same with x X x-men every other spinoff of x-men is outside of the flagship and eventually over time those did come back and and do better and amazing stood its ground and it came back after todd left over the years and outsold the regular spider-man book and uncanny hold uh, uncanny x-men held because there there is something to that theory and what i'm getting to is that Batman is the flagship. If you're watching the Batman show, you want the Batman comic. That's fairly obvious. So Detective is then just, oh, that's the other book that has Batman. And of course, it's doing extremely well. I mean, we, we, we checked out those numbers and those numbers are sick. I mean, for Detective Comics, okay, <laughs> you know, to be the non-flagship and contributing 425,000 units, that's huge. So Batman's two books at, at uh, and then if you throw in, world's finest he's doing two million units between batman detective and world's finest but the batman book is such a giant success uh it, it is a hundred uh i mean good god it's 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 uh it's a hundred and fifty five thousand ahead of superman who all together at this time is giving you three million so how did marvel eventually come to outsell DC Comics, how'd they do it? That was their Mission Impossible. That was their goal. They were battling for market dominance. And uh, that also is a, is a pretty uh, fairly simple equation. If you just kind of take a look, examine the facts, and, and understand that, that they were bound and determined to win that battle, and, and they deserved when they got the crown, which would come a few years later when Marvel would match and then exceed dc without the benefit of a giant breakout that book called it a sensation it called it a phenomenon okay marvel didn't have either of those but they did it by slowly chipping away with the quality of the work the quality of the draftsmanship and the creativity that would eventually launch them past dc comics and don't you think for one minute that that didn't rattle the 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 offices at dc over the many years, I've heard 
lots of different stories and and so have you and 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 so many of them come from the the surviving you know staff or cast members that were there and and this particular one is is directly quoting Stanley who obviously was was there from the very beginning and he sticks to uh the story that Martin Goodman the publisher of Timely Comics had contacted Stan in 1962 and said, hey, National Comics, which was DC, DC Comics, are selling better than most other comics. And he was really focused on the Justice League. And he, he saw that as, as a model that he wanted Marvel to emulate. And he, and he explained to Stan, uh, I don't need a house to fall on me, he says. Uh, we need more books like the Justice League. The Justice League is selling. And what? let's put out a comic book that features teams of superheroes. That this is what Martin Goodman is supposed to have said to Stanley, and this is quoting Stanley from the Ron Goulart, uh, the Great American Comic Book Coffee Table book. This is on I'm on, I'm on page two forty seven, two forty eight, two forty nine. As I as I share this with, uh, so Stan got to work, obviously contacting Jack Kirby. Who come on, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon created Captain America. They know a thing or two about comic books. They had done Fighting American. They had done Jack Strong over at Archie. They had they had uh, long. Uh, been responsible for a ton of successful superhero comic books, but now Jack and Stan are going to pact, and they are going to give you the Fantastic Four. The early response to the Fantastic Four, according to Stan, Stan Lee, was one of the most exciting things that could have ever happened to Marvel. There were actually live readers out there, again, I'm quoting Stan Lee, readers who took the trouble to contact us, readers who wanted to talk to us about these characters. Uh, the, the most frequently asked question that we received is, when are you going to bring out another superhero comic? Stan says, well, it wasn't, wasn't long until we followed up Fantastic Four, and you know they did, and, and, and the rest is history. And what they did is they started uh, lining you know, the shelves with Marvel product. With We are currently wrapping up the 60th year, the 60th anniversary of X-Men and the Avengers, and they came out on the same day. They came out on the exact same day, and, and and Jack was still doing Fantastic Four at the time. Can you like literally believe, even believe that? But this this speaks to the why. The why. When did the worm start turning? When did things start going Marvel's way? Well, I, I would say right from the beginning, okay? Because the man from Uncle may sit at number eleven again, riding the 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 popularity of a super hot uh, spy show, Archie had been everywhere, you know, not an, not an unknown brand. Makes sense that they were the number five comic. Spider-Man and Fantastic Four came out of nowhere. They came out of, they were brand new comic book creations. Superman had had the George Reeves cartoon. Superman was not without his own media, uh, you know, support. He didn't, he, he was not without his own media support uh, Prior to obviously the Adam West, there was the original George Reeves show. Again, that was stripped when I was a kid. I was watching that in black and white, and then immediately Batman. All this stuff, Super Friends, DC really had their leg up in terms of media and merchandising. The DC heroes were absolutely more uh, prominent in in drugstores, in grocery stores, in in the department stores. They, they they absolutely had taken Batman and Superman and 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 married with them like a packaging, along with Green Lantern and Hawkman and Wonder Woman because they were stickers. They were uh, school supplies. They were folders, lunch pails, uh, action. You know the, the, what I called the dolls. There was so much DC merchandise, but Spider-Man and Fantastic Four uh, launched 
and and gave them a footing and then we 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 got so many more to come from from Iron Man we, the, the rejuvenation the the reactivation of Captain America in the pages of the Avengers. But again, we are at the end of the 60th anniversary of Avengers and X-Men. And 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 again, what unites so much of what I just told you is Jack Kirby, the workhorse, the genius, the creative just mind-blowing talent of this man Jack Kirby who who was relentless. He was absolutely relentless. To to hit the nail Exactly on the head, Avengers and X-Men number one debuted July 2nd, 1963. And to blow, completely blow your mind, the Fantastic Four annual number one came out that exact same day too. I mean, Jack Kirby was this incredible workhorse. He and Steve Ditko are two of the greatest creation uh, uh, character creators, designers, I, I I encountered Marvel Comics in 1974, and I immediately found myself drawn to the unique looks and designs of the Marvel characters over the DC characters, whom I liked, but I didn't love them. I didn't love them the way I loved Marvel characters. Love at first sight. I've often ta- talked to you about Fantastic Four 147 is the first Marvel comic 1974 published. Uh, I traded with my barber, uh, Fred, really sweet guy. Let me trade him he had stacks of comics for kids to read when he cut their hair and he saw my instant love affair with this book which is really centered around around prince namor submariner beating the crap out of the entire fantastic four he's flying out of the water screaming at ben grin at ben grim as this is happening and threatening him and it's got ben grim uh, the, the thing and, and johnny on the cover uh about to engage in battle with a very angry prince namor namor as I've covered on some other episodes of, of Rob Observations about uh, how I was uh, really attracted to the angry characters, you know, young kids, young teenagers. As I got older, I realized that I liked the thing. I liked Namor. I liked Luke Cage, Power Man. He had a hot temper. He beat the crap out of everybody. And of course, this culminated in me loving Wolverine for all of those reasons. Now I got an angry, cool guy who has claws coming out of his uh hands and a kick-ass costume and i just man i was just i just like the angry guys they tapped tapped into my angst but prince namor fantastic four 147 love it for sight he saw it my barber saw it my dad saw it my dad drove me home i i gave him two richie riches and a casper i wanted to overtrade him so that he felt good about giving me this incredible marvel comic love it for sight there, there were dc comics there didn't love them as much but the one DC comic that I loved at a young age, The Legion of Superheroes, had great costume designs, all by Mr. Dave Cockrum, Lightning Lad, Wildfire, uh, Elemental Lad, Saturn Girl, Timberwolf. Oh my gosh, I just, I love The Legion of Superheroes because they look cool. They looked cool. Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, all, all of the... Uh, incredible talents that followed Don Heck, John Buscema. Uh, the, the, the quality of the storytelling of Marvel Comics contributed, I believe, with the youth of that time. It was more relatable. Uh, Superman and DC Comics, Batman and DC Comics, when I would flip through them, they seemed a little goofier to me. The consequences were not as dire. 
I, I, that, that issue, Fantastic Four 147, at the end of the issue, my very first Fantastic Four issue, Sue Richards is asking for a divorce and she is leaving with Namor at the end to go be with him and leaving her husband shattered. I'm seven. I'm like, what? Wait, there's a divorce in this comic? Heavy stuff, more mature stuff, uh, more action. Again, because when you've got Jack Kirby dictating an entire company's worth of action, and John Buscema is on record. John Buscema, who's on my Mount Rushmore, along with Jack Kirby. John Buscema, who can draw the figure as great as anyone, uh, as Michelangelo, as Frank Frazetta. John Buscema is an incredible artist. He was on record as saying, I would try and emulate the power and action and choreography that Jack did because nobody did it better. He is on record as stating that he looked at Jack King Kirby and his action choreography, his uh, figure dynamics, and applied them to his own with, with his incredible understanding of, of the human form. Marvel Comics hit harder. I think they were more relatable. The lovable loser that was Peter Parker Spider-Man was relatable for a lot of guys who were nervous about asking the girl out and nervous about maybe their financial situation. You know, my family wasn't rich. We, we, we weren't rich. My, 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 both my parents worked. And, and so when, when, when Peter Parker and Aunt May are fretting, fretting about paying the bills, that was my house. Maybe that was your house. I didn't get that from Lois Lane or, 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 or Superman Clark Kent. And certainly you got, you know, Bruce Wayne and his billion dollar, you know, cave, his bat cave and his mansion and his butler. It just, it, it, it wasn't as relatable to me as a kid from the outset. I like the Avengers more than the Justice League. They seem more dynamic. Uh, they argued amongst each other. Cap and Iron Man had about a year or two stretch there in the mid-70s where they really you know, expressed disdain for themselves. And this is 1974-1975. So this is two years after Marvel eclipses DC Comics because that happened in 1972. But I am telling you, when they started from the outset in July... Uh, in in 1962, 1963, the the launch of these books, the the you know getting them going creatively behind the scenes, and actually having them all land, and then just the absolute uh, devotion that these books had from from the earliest stages, and they would slowly climb, and they would climb, and they would climb because people dug them. I think the youth of that age preferred them, and it only you know word of mouth happens. Word of mouth creates. Careers uh, creates successful characters, and 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 so by 1972, much to DC's chagrin, is that a great name? A uh, great word, chagrin. Much to their chagrin and discomfort, Marvel exceeded them in sales. Sharing with you once again from Ron Goulart's The Great American Comic Book. He writes on page 267. Uh, For Marvel, the 1970s would be their most profitable decade ever. Their uh, sales had jumped, had jumped from 5 million uh, circulation in 1970 to 7.2 million by 1979. So they have added to their bottom line from 1970 to 1979, across that era of publishing, they added an additional 2.2 million to bring them to 7.2 million sales a year across the board for their company, which outpaced them 
uh, outpaced DC, and this started in 1972. They this started in 1972, where they finally overtook them. And now, now Bob Beer, uh, Bob Beerbaum, who I mentioned earlier from Comics and Comics, he is on record as stating one of the reasons and one of the ways that Marvel lapped DC, and 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 certainly there is evidence to support this. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, I wasn't there at the time of this particular share of this particular fact but i have read about it enough that i believe that it is uh it it definitely plays into there's there's episodes and observations uh there's the one called the dc comics implosion and it kind of deals with a lot of the financial stuff that was going on in terms of the comic book market at the time but in 1972 both marvel and dc had agreed basically a handshake deal that they were going to uh that they were going to increase the price of their books from 20 cents to 25 cents uh, so, so that, that it would be uniform across both of the top superhero publishers. So Marvel reneged. They, they, they did not honor this deal. DC put their books out at 25 cents. Marvel stayed at 20 cents a copy and it blindsided DC. And suddenly Marvel could say you could get five books for a, for a buck as opposed to four DC books for a buck. And uh, this is wildly, wildly and widely uh, speculated as a key reason in 1972 why the, the, the Marvel took over DC, that it was basically a, a pricing manipulation. And I think that's all well and all good, but I'm going to go back to also kids just like Marvel comics. They just like them more. They were more relatable. They had cooler villains. That's the one thing that I've always felt like. So you can you can sit there and you can talk to me about Batman's rogues gallery. And I think he has one of, if not the best rogues gallery in the world, if you take Spider-Man out of the equation. I think Spider-Man has the absolute superior rogues gallery. Uh, and, and this is where I get into the, the most heated debates with the diehard Batman and the DC fans. And look, like I said, it just comes down to preference. Yes, you've got Joker and Penguin and po- Poison Ivy. And 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 uh, and Riddler and 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 all of the incredible villains, but I just think when you get to the Lizard and Mysterio and Doc Ock and Green Goblin and and Craven and 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 uh, and then then you 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 throw in the recent additions in the last thirty years of Venom and Carnage, it just continues to show you that uh, even some of the weirdo villains of 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 Spider Man like the Scorpion. And, and Electro, I was always just more totally dialed into. I mean, honestly, for me, it's either Batman or Spider-Man. They're one or they're two. You, 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 that neither of them can go below two. They have such great rogues galleries. But then you get to Captain America and you get to Red Skull. And then you get to the Avengers and you've got Kang and Fantastic Four, maybe number three in my book. And, and there, there, there's an argument that they could honestly, maybe it's the Fantastic Four with Doctor Doom, with the Mole Man, with Galactus. Uh, with Annihilus, just incredible. That the villains of Marvel, Superman. I can't go very deep into that Rogues Gallery beyond Lex Luthor, Brainiac, uh, and then maybe I guess Doomsday now. Like, but it's just not Superman's Rogues Gallery does not inspire in the same way that Spider Man and the Fantastic Four, and of course Batman. But then again, you go, you know, the X Men. I love. Toad and I love Blob and I love Juggernaut and of course Magneto, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Uh, so many incredible villains that the, the bad guys 
uh, were stacked at Marvel. I think you know they have a standalone book that they released in the 70s called Bring on the Bad Guys. And on the cover is Doctor Doom and Loki and Red Skull and Green Goblin. And I'm leaving out a few, but they just have great bad guys and relatable characters. You know, I've always said, if you look at the DC Pantheon, Superman's planet exploded. Uh, Aquaman's parents drowned. Batman's parents were murdered. All of the DC heroes come from tragedy. And, and then all of the Marvel heroes come from science. Uh, gamma radiated bomb. Cosmic rays, gamma rays in in uh, in space, uh, uh, a radioactive spider, you know, a canister that that rolls into the streets and 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 takes away Matt Murdock's eyesight, and then of course you got to the mutants, the the, the actual natural evolution of a gene uh, and, and genetic kind of manipulation and 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 evolution. So the, the the DC characters and the Marvel characters were always kind of uh, separated, but in, in 1972, it is when they turned a corner. And again, by 1979, Marvel, there is no looking back. And I've, I've told you that both publishers were definitely feeling and, 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 and f- feeling the weight of, of publishing woes that circulation had fallen, but that because of Marvel's partnership with Lucasfilm and the Star Wars license, they surged ahead to never be caught up with. Uh, Star Wars was really the rocket fuel that in 1977 propelled them, giving you that extra 2.2 million. I'm sure some of that extra 2.2 million that was that was realized from 1970 to 1979 is uh, in the form of Star Wars because that 1977 license just is well recorded. We have many different podcasts on Star Wars. Uh, I think I think the very f- first season, six five six episodes in license. Uh, the thrill, I think, is the name of the episode. It really starts covering it, but we cover it through through many different years because it's it's really worth exploring again and again and again how just that right license hookup can really be uh, the the extra juice that 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 propels you past every everyone and everything else. But in five short years, those numbers that I shared with you at the top of this. Uh, Spider-Man and and Fantasy Four were outselling Batman, and they were outselling Superman, and they were the top selling titles. As a matter of fact, I, I can give you a couple of facts to that exact uh, uh, notion, and and really kind of drive the drive the point home even further. To actually get into the numbers and the raw data, something to, to consider during that same period from 1970 to 1979, Archie Comics dropped from. 6.2 million yearly circulation in, in 1970 to 3.5 million by 1979. So, so, so as Marvel is rising, other publishers are falling. And you know why that is? Because Marvel comics are more popular because they're more relatable. Their characters look cooler. They were um, really the, the, the product of these genius talents. The talent pool, in my opinion, was superior at Marvel. Uh, just, just, just if we had just only three names, if, I, if, if, if it was just Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, and John Buscema, I mean, they were outshining everybody in direct competition with them. As much as I admired the work of Kurt Swan and of Dick Dillon, uh, I, I just, and Irv Novick, the, the, these guys, as talented as they were, they did not have the, the Marvel dynamics, and those dynamics took. And again, the characterization, the relative, uh, you know, the, 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 the characters, people struggling to, to pay bills, relationships falling apart, uh, people longing for a, another, a romance. 
We, 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 we understood that. I related to Johnny Storm. I related to Peter Parker. I related to the rage that the thing felt because I didn't like how I looked in the mirror either at that age. And, 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 and so many, we, 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 we've discussed this. Um, Superman, as much as I love him and he's my favorite DC comic superhero, he's not something I aspire to. He's, he's something that entertains me. And I love the sheer power and, and, and the, and the, uh, and, 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 and kind of the moral, uh, representation that superman has always given you know this this super boy scout i dig that but that's not what i aspired to be i want something more relational and so again marvel comics to me started this journey and then hey maybe it was the price jump maybe it was five for a buck because when i was coming in and that that 147 that fantastic four that is a 20 cent comic book that i remember when suddenly the 20 cents went to 25 cents and again across five books that's an entire issue so, so, so DC was four for a buck. Marvel was five for a buck. Maybe that's what broke it open for them as some of these retailers uh, state. But you cannot diminish one for, for one minute that Archie, with its really go, you know, golly gee shucks approach, lost almost three million circulation in a decade as Marvel gained 2.2 and, and had been gaining since 1967. Uh, now, the comics were getting thinner, but I didn't collect comics in the 60s, so it really wasn't noticeable to me. But they had really stayed about, it, it was now a 32-page, a comic book was 32 pages with, with basically 22 pages of, of story and art and then a lot of ads. And as we would get further along, there would be more ad pages. That's, that's something that naturally occurs, and we understand that. But Marvel, uh, <laughs> one of the funny things uh, that, that author Ron Goulart talks about here he says an odd assortment of comic book genres and characters turned out to be commercial in the 70s. The topics and themes comic book publishers pursued barbarians, the environment, vampires, drug abuse, werewolves, mythology, uh, the martial arts. Uh, a peculiar mix, he points out, but a money-making one too. And, and again, we have talked about, there are dedicated episodes of Rob Observations that you should go back and talk about. Uh, I talk about uh, the diversity, how Marvel just blasted out they, they broke out with all of their incredible black superheroes with luke cage with black panther with black goliath um they they they, they really grabbed the the diversity uh profile and again how did a young how did a kid from anaheim a little white boy in anaheim california come to idolize luke cage you know power man from the bronx with his with his open shirt his bright yellow open shirt his his tiara his chain for a belt Dude, I love Luke Cage to this day. That Luke Cage is, when I see the Luke Cage now with his tailored suits, I'm like, that's not my Luke Cage. My Luke Cage uh, moved differently, looked differently. And uh, man, did, 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 did this, this kid wanted to be him in the worst way. And then there is a episode called Kung Fu Fighting of Rob Observations, which talks about how they were the first to just completely explode out with the martial arts line of books which would start carrying Marvel and produce huge dividends for them. Shang-Chi, uh, Iron Fist, The White Tiger, The Sons of the Tiger, uh, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, Kung Fu, a monthly magazine uh, that, that, that had Kung Fu, Marvel Comics, Kung Fu stories. Marvel was really uh, experimenting with more genres than anybody at that time, and it paid off. Conan the Barbarian was launched during this, this period, you know? And, and there's a dedicated uh, 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 sword and sorcery podcast barbarians at the gate sword and sorcery and comic books because marvel had such success conan started 
knocking on you know the the top of the charts for Marvel. They just uh, were making all the right decisions during this period, and they had all the great talent, and were able to close that gap without benefit of a giant, you know, pop culture driven phenomenon that Batman had become. That 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 took Batman to that top slot in 1967. Uh, uh, again, this 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 book has referred to Batman that show as a phenomenon uh, and a sensation, and it was. But Marvel didn't have anything resembling that. They did it the hard way through publishing, through relating to their audience, and to achieving this incredible success uh, with their publishing line, and eventually, you know, matching and exceeding DC Comics and never looking back. To wrap all this up and, and put a pretty bow on it and and, and send it on send it on its way. We're going to look at 1979 since we, we've been focused on the, the, the growth that Marvel experienced in, in exceeding and matching DC Comics. Re- starting in 1972 is when they first overtook them. And, and it was aware that, you know, Stan Lee has talked extensively. He even talked to The Hollywood Reporter, I think in 2017, about how they would then begin trolling DC in all different manners of ways now that they were the number one publisher. It was extremely competitive between these companies, trust me. And I think uh, Marvel just had, uh, again, they had a deep bench of incredible talent. First and foremost, without the talent, you don't get anything done. And with visionary talent, talent, like like the the Jack Kirby and the Steve Ditko and the groundwork that they laid and the incredible foundation of character design, uh, uh, visuals, uh, uh, dynamics, gestures, there's a reason... There's a book called How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. They just felt different. And, and yes, I'll even say it, they felt better. But by 1979, to have uh, added two and a half million, two, 2.2 million sales from 1970 and to, uh, you know, be, be closing in on, be closing in on uh, what, what would be close to 7.5 million units. I mean, that's incredible. That's, that's an incredible success story given that they started so far behind DC that they had books in the 14s and the 17s and then to go and be the top selling books and and here's here's where I can underscore that and and uh and again share that with you is that in 1979 in 1979 DC had one book in the top 10 DC had one book in the top 10 September of 1979 specifically World of Krypton I remember buying it it was a it was a mini series about you know Krypton and I think it was in the top 10 because it was coasting on the increased interest from the Christopher Reeve Superman movie that was released in Christmas of 1978 and really carried throughout that entire year. And there was already a Superman 2 that had been shot, that they were editing, that they were fixing, that was coming out in the years to come. They were making sure that you, they, they, they made sure, they being the media, Warner Brothers, DC Comics made sure you knew that another Superman movie was coming. So Superman was really, literally sitting at the very top of the food chain for DC Comics, but it only had one book in the top 10 and it wasn't even Superman. It wasn't even the flagship. It was the World of Krypton miniseries. The top three books for Marvel in 1979 were X-Men, Spider-Man, and the Micronauts. Yes, the Micro. I've told you many times here that the Micronauts was a breakout book for Marvel Comics. It was a big seller. It was super successful. The top three books were X-Men, Spider-Man, and Micronauts. World of Krypton. Is is uh, is the sole representative for DC at that point? I'm going to jump to June 1980, almost a full year later. DC did not have a book in the top 20 
DC does not have a book in the top 20 in June 1980. A list dominated by X-Men, Marvel's adaptation of Star Trek, their own epic magazine, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, The Avengers. You guys, I didn't stutter. June 1980, DC Comics does not have a book in the top 20. In 1967, they have nine of the top 10. To quote my my, my, my favorite documentary, The Eagles, uh, Don Henley, time passes, things change. Time passes, things change. How did Marvel do it? How did they achieve their Mission Impossible? Creativity, execution of that creativity, mega talent. And uh, they, they, they eventually took over the comics industry and without benefit of, again, a giant engine bolstering them. Yes, the licensing of Star Wars, but they didn't have a lot of giant, a giant engine. No, no, no. They, they took over in 1972. They, they passed DC Comics before Star Wars. Star Wars was just extra rocket fuel at the time. But uh, such a blast sharing these numbers with you, looking over history. These numbers episodes are great because I just, I do, I love getting into the data. The data is so fun and it is so rich and I love sharing it with you guys. And that is a snapshot. 1967, the year I was born, DC Comics had nine of the top 10. Archie Comics was the only other non-DC comic. And again, Spider-Man and and, and Fantastic Four were were, were pulling up in the mid-teens. And by 1972, they were outselling DC. And then again, 1980, DC Comics doesn't even have a book in the top 20. There are snapshots in time that, that show you what is possible and, 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 and that things could conceivably happen again. And that's why we look at them. That's why, why, why we stare them down. And that's why we discuss them on Rob Observations. Thank you so much for taking this journey with me today. Uh, I I think the 70s is a rich era, one of the richest, the diversity and the variety that happened during that time. uh, I think not only attracted more readers, but it expanded the readers that they had and grew them in different directions. And your loyalty to Marvel at that time probably just increased because what you're seeing on television and in in martial arts or in seeing in movies with Shaft and... uh, and Foxy Brown is now being reflected in the Marvel comics. They were quick to reflect what was going on, uh, maybe quicker than, than, than DC. And again, I've only shared with you my opinions today on why these things happened, but they happened. You know, from, from nine of the top 10 in 1967 to being eclipsed in 1972 to having no books in the top 20 in June of 1980 and only one in 1979, in, in, in September of 1979. So crazy times, love talking about it. Thank you so much for joining me on on this show. Appreciate you more than you will ever, ever even understand. At the very end of each and every episode of Rob's Relations, I read your reviews that you leave for us. We don't take these for granted. We, we know how important they are. We know how valuable your time is. And I am so thankful that you take your time out, get your keyboard out, and you type these really generous, kind words of support for our show. It helps us. It absolutely helps us stand out on the platform. Uh, and let me say something about the podcast. The other day, a guy asked me if I, if, if, if I would ever be sponsored. I've been offered to be sponsored. I, I don't want to do that. I pay for this show, uh, the production out of my own pocket. I want to give it back to you free. And, uh, and that's what I'm, I've, I've been doing for three and a half years. I'm going to continue to do that. This is my gift to you. Thank you for, for participating in it. 
and, and, and digging comics as much as I do and wanting to talk and listen uh, about the history and the events of the comic book industry. Your, 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 your reviews are just so incredibly uh, just uh, inspiring. They, they really do make me uh, get, get back on this mic as nervous as I can be and, and, and talk each and every, uh, each and every session to keep this show going. And today I'm going to read to you a very, a very generous review uh, by Typer Rosa. Typer Rosa. It's called New York Comic Con 2023 Part 1, referring to the episode from a couple weeks back. It has five stars. Thank you, Typer Rosa. He says, This was a great listen, first and foremost. Looking forward to hearing more. I was one of the first to have my items signed by Mr. Rob Liefeld at the New York Comic Con 2023. I always state, the Rob is the reason why I fell in love with comics. I will cherish my Cable and Domino statue, my Deadpool Batter Blood signings. Uh, all that being said, Rob is not lying about being one of the few major artists that stand up for the fans while at his booth. Uh, his energy is the same here as it is in person. My only regret is that I didn't take a photo with him in my American Man- Mandalorian suit. Uh, cheers and best to you and to your blood strike movie initiative and then he signs it Reese's Pieces <laughs> hey this 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 touched a lot of different uh topics great meeting you uh at at New York Comic Con I remember signing your statues uh those were cool yeah you had, I, I signed the domino gun I remember I, I I know that you shared that on his on uh on social media on Instagram I was able to see that um he's referring to in in the 2023 I want you guys to understand that when you're standing in line waiting, I'm standing in line. Sometimes customers need time to figure out what they want off the menu. And we bring something like 60 individual variants that are right there at the table that you don't get to see until you're up there, up and close at, at what, when, when we wave you over from the line because they always make our line kind of isolated uh, so that it's not creating problems in the aisles. And so we never rush you. We want you to take your time. And eventually that's going to mean that you're standing longer and and, uh, and and I feel terrible about that, which is why I stand and not sit. I don't want you to see me comfortable when you're uncomfortable. So I stand alongside with you. And that's what he's mentioning when he says that one, Rob is is one of the few major artists that stands. Okay, he, he's not he's not me. I'm standing for a cause. I'm physically standing. My legs are standing because you're standing. So anyway, Typerosa, thank you for that generous review. I appreciate you so much. It was great seeing you. And thank you for your continued listening. All of you. Thank you for your support. When you write a review for Observations, uh, I will read it at the end of this show. And, and lately, you guys have been just so generous. So, so uh, we will get to all of them, I promise you, in the weeks to come. Thank you again for your support. Thank you for sharing the show with your word of mouth, with your enthusiasm, uh, t- telling your stores, your friends. We appreciate it. I will continue to uh, do my best to comb through the, the history books because I was there. I was there for so much of this. Okay. Uh, comics is my passion. I love sharing it. I love that we share it together. You can find me on social media. I'm always hanging out on social media. I take a break from drawing. I, I check in. I want to see what's going on. Just like the rest of you. I am on Twitter slash X. I'll always call it Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Uh, I have a blue check that signifies, uh, it was coming and going for a while. It's been there uh, now pretty, pretty regularly that signifies that I am the genuine article. You are really talking to the guy who was talking to this mic at that time. I read your replies. I read your messages, your comments. I love hanging out with you guys on Twitter. I am over there at Robert Liefeld, and I would love for you to join me. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. Good, good Joy Liefeld. The great Joy Liefeld. The lovely Joy Liefeld said, Rob, you got to get on this. She says, you're going to love this app. She was first 
first on it before anyone, anybody on our family. She got me to get on it. I am at Rob Liefeld. Uh, another blue check signifies I am the genuine article. You are really talking to me. I read your replies, your comments. Thank you so much for all of the wonderful uh, things that you share with me and in, 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 the, in the comment section and the messages and the DMs. Uh, I love interacting with you over there. When you do your story shares, I try and re, re, reshare them uh, and, and, and get you maybe to an increased audience if I can. Thank you for following me. Thank you for interacting with me. Instagram is like my visual diary. I show you what I'm drawing, what I'm eating, the people I'm hanging with, my family, uh, the things that I love. I really do love it. And I would love for you to take that ride alongside me. Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. On Facebook, we have a kick-ass group. It's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. So many of the conversations that we have here continue there in, in a more long-form manner. So much discussion going on throughout the day. We have so many talented people in that group. So much art is being shown. There is an art contest. Uh, my other administrator on that page, which is how you'll know if you submit that it's either myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A. He's an administrator, a moderator. He runs the art contests, which are done on a weekly basis. They're great. They're really fun. We just have a great vibe. We keep it positive, uh, really upbeat. And, and we would love for you to join us over on our Facebook group. It's a group, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond is the name of it. Uh, submit uh, to, to, you know, to, to join and we will get you on through in no time. Look forward to seeing you over there, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Live streaming is something that I have really come to enjoy. I am talking directly into the camera, the entirety of any live stream that I do and all those live streams take place on Whatnot. It's an app, get it, Whatnot. It is the uh, premier collectible app. Cars, yes, they're selling cars. Uh, clothes, watches, sneakers, kicks, jerseys, sports, uh, and, and pop and comic book memorabilia, which is where I'm at. I am, I am uh, sharing my signed comic books exclusives. Uh, many of them are exclusive that you can only get through whatnot. Uh, toys, Funkos, and original art, all of those are on display and available when you go live with me on my Rob Liefeld Woods uh, live streams. Follow me on whatnot. I am Rob Liefeld over there. If you give me a follow, you'll get notified when I go live and do my shows, which uh, now that we're heading into the holidays, we're going to get back to two a week. For the last two months, we've been basically once a week, but we're going to ramp them back up. I hope to see you there. It is, it is a lot of fun. Uh, many people say it's a more unhinged version of this. Uh, it's generally later at night. I'm a little grumpier. Uh, we always have a, a really great time. So many people are, are, are joining in and there's a, a, a back and forth dialogue going the entirety of the show, which is a blast. I love it. So our exclusives, we have exclusives with whatnot. We have a Captain America exclusive. We have a uh, Deadpool. We have many Deadpool exclusives. We have a New Mutants 98 facsimile exclusive. We have a Spider-Man exclusive. We love sharing these exclusives. I have Extreme Studios exclusives. I have Brigade exclusives. I have Profit exclusives. I have Blood Wolf, Evangeline. Please get on uh, the whatnot train, join us, follow me, and you will be alerted when we go live. And hopefully you can see all the cool stuff that we share and participate. So check that out. That's where you'll find me. Uh, we'll, we'll be back to two shows a week here in uh, in no time again as we close out these last couple months of 2023. What a great year. I have Deadpool Batterblood. My comic book has been on the, on the uh, shelves. Uh, first issue shipped in June, then July, then, then, then August and September and October. We've wrapped it up. The last issue came out a week ago. It's got Deadpool against an all-new uh, group of nemesis fighting alongside of him are Cable and Wolverine and Spider-Man and Venom Pool. Venom comes in for an appearance. It's so much fun. I, it was my love letter to comic books. It's big. It's bold. It's brash. I hope very much 
that you enjoy, you seek it out, that your retailer has enough copies. If, he, if not, he can, of course, back order them for you. In November, I have a 10-page story coming in an anthology, a Deadpool anthology called Seven Slaughters. I am one of the Seven Slaughter stories. Uh, I bring back a character named Lady Anime that I introduced in 2004 in my X-Force limited series that was released in uh, 2004. Lady Anime was introduced on the first three pages of X-Force number three, and I was really happy with how she was introduced. The whole kind of events of one and two were, were, were leading to getting to her, her profile, but I didn't get to see, I didn't get to share her powers with you. And now in my Lady Anime uh, Deadpool 7 Slaughter story, you're going to see her and I think you're going to be really entertained. I think you're going to uh, enjoy her on par with some of my uh, characters that you dig the most, like Cable and Deadpool and Shatterstar. I am looking forward to you interacting with Lady Anime as she debuts in Deadpool 7 Slaughters. I think that issue is out on November 15th. Look for it. 2024 is going to be an even better year than 2023. I'll be uh, sharing with you so many of my projects in the uh, days and weeks to come. But The Last Blood is something you should remember. The Last Blood. We're going to make a big deal out of that. It's going to be a blast. You're going to definitely want to follow me on social media, on all these different accounts, Facebook, uh, Twitter, slash X, Instagram, and whatnot, uh, to, to be able to interact with Last Blood. At the end of each and every episode, I uh, just want to make sure that you are doing great that your mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual state of being, your health, your mind is in the best possible shape. My encouragement always is to get out, uh, go see a great movie, spend time with friends, have a dinner uh, with your family, uh, have a cheat meal, have a uh, a, a hurricane. There, there's a new ice cream place that, that, that it, it's been in LA for a long time, but they just opened a couple blocks down from us. We are having the ice cream wars. Uh, in 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 the city that I live in, there are three brand new ice cream places, and they are all vying for uh, dominance. And my preference at this time is Handles. I go get that Oreo Hurricane, and oh my good God Almighty! But their horchata cinnamon ice cream may make me tremble. Uh, I do love my sweets, and 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 trust me, for those thirty seconds, minute, ninety seconds that I am gobbling down that stuff, yes, it's that fast. It is the best part of my day, and I am suitably distracted. My wish for you is that you achieve some sort of distraction. Get off the grind. Get off the treadmill. Go get some ice cream. Go stand in line. Go get your order. Overpay for ice cream like we are here in Orange County, and and be distracted just by the price alone. And then, you know, maybe the taste of the ice cream will wash away the sticker shock. But my hope for you is that you are doing great. Every day is a struggle. Every day has burdens. We all have to deal with them. We all have to manage them. Uh, I am just hoping, praying, wishing that you will uh, get to the other side and and uh, and find some time to get on that recliner, get on that sofa chair, get on that beanbag, and just take some time for you and reset. And I am always rooting for you. I am fist bumping you, boom, right through this blue Yeti microphone that I talk into and wishing you all the best. Hey, don't lose track of me. I'm, I'm still going to be here. Come back, see me, circle back around. I'll be here because, as you know, we will most definitely, absolutely, and inevitably talk again real soon.